Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day Tabernacle. To all the moms, uh, great job. And you did your best, right? To all those in Manistee, uh, especially to my mom, who will be watching this sometime this afternoon on replay when she gets home from church. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. You're the greatest. And also, happy Mother's Day to my wife. I got the five kids to prove it. So, um, yeah. So I hope for you it is a good day um, and that, uh, yeah, we hope this service will be a little bit of a blessing to you. I want to take you back to earlier this week. Um, I was on a sideline and um, coaching or preparing to coach a girls' soccer game. Girls are going through their warm-ups, if you can picture this. And I'm blessed with a, a couple of great assistant coaches. And one of them, my best bro, Ryan Jones, uh, of the Welsh descendants, right? Um, he, he knows better than to answer his Apple Watch during warm-ups. Because I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to throw it in the river, Right? And by the way, all of you that have Apple Watches, I want you to know the rest of us that don't, we're highly offended when we're talking to you and you're constantly going like this. It's like, am I wasting your time? Am I wasting your time? So yeah, I'm not quite sure. That. I'm just a little bit hot right here. Can we dial that down just a little bit? I feel a ringing. Either that or I'm just getting old. Um, so we're on the sidelines and um, Ryan gets a message and it's from his wife. So he has to take it. It's very important. Because there's an issue with his son. And uh, the text comes up about his four-year-old son, John John. And this is what his wife wrote. He said, so John John starts asking me how people come back to life after they die, like Jesus. So I'm explaining to him what God did and why Jesus came and then died for our sins and rose again. Then without a beat, he... He, he says, well, what happens when we eat too much food and it pours out of our mouth and butt? <laughs> and his wife summarized it like this after some emojis I won't share. It says, so he's so spiritually curious, yet such a weirdo at the same time. And I was like, and that's our church. Well done. But I would also remind you, I would also remind all of us, myself included, that Jesus said, truly, I say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We receive by faith his word. We receive it like a child. And I know we can look at science and what the world says and what cynics and skeptics will say. But I would say, if you don't believe God's word, you don't believe God. To believe his word is to believe in God. It's the same thing. That's why it's called his word. Not my word or your word. It's inerrant in its original form. And so this weekend on Mother's Day, we wrap up our Son of God series. We come to the end of Luke. That'll be the last time you hear that little intro video. It's the last time. You know, we've, from the first weeks before Christmas until now, we've been going through and we've saved the last three verses on purpose. And I'm super excited this weekend and a little bit wound up. I want to warn you. I've never preached on the ascension before this weekend, and that's what we're covering in the last three verses of Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there, but also be prepared to go to Acts chapter 1, because it's a little trick move. We're going to look at the last three verses of Luke and the first 11 verses of the book of Acts, because they're connected, and you'll see why. But you've heard me often talk about when I go on one of those preacher rants, I get really excited because I believe it, and I talk about Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. But I've done a disservice, and it's dawned on me this week, I'm trying to retrain my brain and my mouth to say this, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. 
to leave out his ascension. And what I'm talking about, his glorious ascension into heaven 40 days after his resurrection where he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's important. And it's neglected. It's been neglected by me, not anymore. It's been neglected by Christians at the church in general because we don't understand it. It seems like some sort of Jedi trick. Some sort of, you know, fade off into the distance. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so let's first, while, while you're turning to Luke 24, I'm going to remind you of what it says at the beginning of Luke. What you heard in the intro video for the last however many months. That part where it says, Luke in writing, that it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Or in the translation that was put in our intro video, so that you will know what you have been taught is true. So I'm reminding you, and I want you to keep it there, and I also have to tell you by way of an aside, I was just at a preacher's conference this week, so there's going to be a lot of scripture coming at you. Buckle up, we're the tabernacle, right? In his intro, he says, this is the reason I'm writing this, so that you will know that this is true. What is true? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not was the Son of God, is the Son of God that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, and he didn't die again, he ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God today. That's what Luke wants you to know is true. That's why he wrote the inspired, carried along by the Holy Spirit, the inspired word of God, the gospel of Luke. You with me so far? If I haven't scared too many people too bad yet. I wanted a message on moms. Mm, Not Hallmark Church. Sorry. Sorry, we're going to talk about Jesus if that's okay, all right? I know it's okay with my mom. Hopefully, it's okay with your mom. So here we are in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse uh, 50. It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany, that's just outside Jerusalem, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple blessing God. That's how Luke ends. And if that's all there was, it would be a, yeah, okay, that's all. All of the teaching, all of the dying, all of the crucifying and the resurrecting. And then, you know, as we, if you were here last week, for 40 days, he taught them. He opened their minds to the scripture. He appeared to them. And then he went away. Okay, what do we do now? What do we do now? It's kind of like, I don't know if you're like me, uh, uh, none of the other services are like me, but uh, um, you started a Netflix series, you got done with season one, and it was a cliffhanger, and then COVID happened. And no one was working in COVID. You have to wait three years for them to bring Jack Ryan back. Come on. (laughs) Somebody help me. Somebody go to work in Hollywood, right? I mean, that's kind of what it feels like, that season one ended, and there's nothing, and I got to wait years and years for the for the next ones to come out. There's another interesting thing in what we just read. It's kind of anticlimactic. It says, you know, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them and he parted from them. He doesn't give us a lot of details of how he parted. Did he do the old Superman? Up, up, and away. Did he, you know, did he, was it, was it dramatic and fast? Was it more like of a Pink Floyd type of a deal? I don't know. 
We'll see that movie in heaven. But what's more important is what he does share with us. It says, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, if you've been paying attention, that's a shift. That's a shift. Every other place that I read in scripture where Jesus even hints about him leaving or dying or going away, the disciples are sad. Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? They said to him on the night before he died. And he said, I have to go away to prepare a place for you. Well, why can't we go with you? Because that's not the plan. Can I be in charge for a minute? But they were always sad. If you remember what we talked about, even in the garden, the night when, when Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? And he went back and he find, remember we said he found his disciples asleep from sorrow. They were so afraid, literally they cried themselves to sleep because they saw him in agony and he was saying, tomorrow they're going to kill me. But why now their rabbi, their savior, the obvious son of God, the Messiah is going away and it says they returned with great joy. Why the change in attitude towards his departing? Well, I think there's some hints. Let's go to the book of Acts now, and we're going to connect some dots. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. So just to the right, I hear very few pages. Maybe you didn't bring your Bible. That was passive aggressive, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you're welcome. So on the, or it starts this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, oh, Shazam, did you see that? Nobody caught that? We've heard it on purpose for the last five months. Oh, most excellent Theophilus. Book one was written to Theophilus. Guess who book two is written to? Theophilus. Same author, same recipient. This is part two. They were working. This is part two. You see how that's connected? Luke wrote both, both intended for him. So this is part two of part one. So In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word, and this is the ascension. So Luke does give us the details that we were intended to get if we travel over here to Acts chapter 1, which he also wrote. So why the great joy? Why the great joy at the end of the gospel of Luke when they had always been 
sad before. Well, in our study, I think it's important to remember what, what we talked about last weekend. And if you weren't here, what, what, what the mess, in the message, we pointed out the fact that during the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, that he taught them. In, in that sense, he took the disciples to grad school, right? And he says, okay, now I'm going to tell you the little secret. I am the key to all of Scripture, And you've heard us bang away about that before, that Jesus is the key to understanding all of Scripture. All the Old Testament's about Jesus, all the New Testament is about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. The Da Vinci Code doesn't unlock Scripture, Jesus unlocks Scripture. Are you with me, church? You're going to, listen, I was only gone one week, you you still speak English, right? Come on, let's go there. Go with the preacher, you know, it's it's a participation sport here, right? So Jesus is the key to connecting all the dots. No matter how many times you read the Bible, old or new, you'll forever be gaining knowledge. You'll never experience transformation or change or even understand what it's about until you realize that Jesus is the secret. He's the code because it's all about Jesus. So that's part of what he was opening their minds to during those 40 days. And I think it's one of the reasons that they rejoiced. Here's here's just a quick example. And this, this is deep, but we can handle it. If you flip back those two of you with the Bible, flip back over to Luke chapter 20. If you go back to Luke chapter 20, I promise you we're going deep, okay? In Luke chapter 20, here's one of those occasions earlier in Jesus' ministry when he referenced a psalm and nobody understood what he was talking about. It was almost like a riddle, which a lot of prophecy was. And it's, and it's all, like I said, a riddle unless you understand it's all about Jesus. So it says in Luke chapter 20, verse 41, he says, But he said to them, and he's talking to some religious leaders that are kind of questioning his authority and they're going back and forth. He said to these so-called Bible experts, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, and he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And if you read other places where it records this in other gospels, they had no answer. You guys are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. So I get paid the big bucks. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Where David, if you were with us, this is King David we're talking about of the First and Second Samuel series had written much of the Psalms because not only was he a warrior, a king, he was also a poet. And carried along by the Holy Spirit, he wrote Psalms. And one of the most quoted Psalms was this one about the Christ when it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here it is, the Dave, here, here's David, the greatest of all kings, saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Remember, David had been promised that one of his sons, quote unquote, meaning one of his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel forever, speaking about Jesus. And that was said to David. I don't think David fully understood it. And when David wrote this, I don't think he fully understood it. And when Jesus quoted it, he was pointing out the fact that they didn't yet understand that that verse was about him. Because a son would be never greater than the father in that culture. The son would always be second, but here's David going, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until the footstools. And they're like, what? David's looking up to anyone but God himself? Yes. God the father is speaking to Jesus, the son and saying, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
This is one of the scriptures that he opened their mind to, and this is what was accomplished at the ascension, is that Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and put up his feet on the footstool of his enemies. You don't see that yet? You guys, without the ascension, we don't have a finish line. We don't, without the ascension, we don't have a mission accomplished. Without the ascension, NASCAR dudes, Jesus, Jesus isn't doing donuts in the infield. You have to have the ascension. When he returns to heaven, I did what you asked me to do, and here I am. And can you imagine the celebration? This weekend was Kentucky Derby weekend. I know nothing about horses, but I toured the museum once, so I always like to watch the derby. And yesterday was a great derby. Because an outsider, a complete outsider, wasn't even supposed to be in the race, was in last place. He got position number 20, and he beat everybody. And then he proceeded, uh, after he won, to try to eat all the other horses. It was a complete fiasco. You should have watched it. Google it. Not right now, but later. The winner, before he got to the winner's circle, I mean, they're punching this horse in the face because he's so mad he's eating everybody else. That has nothing to do with the message. Except to say, the ascension was... Christ going to the winner's circle as the conquering king, the conquering hero, the son of God, the savior, returning home. It wasn't that he was the son of God. He is the son of God. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the highest place of authority. I think the disciples were filled with joy because they'd finally connected all the dots He had opened their minds to all the scriptures, and they realized this fact. Jesus has won. That's past tense, and now all there is is a glorious future for all those who believe. The ascension is vital because it it puts it in huge letters. It's more than just a billboard or a sign congratulating you to their town because some people won the state championship 40 years ago. Jesus has won, and that victory is now. Jesus has won, and that victory is now. What has he won? Who has he conquered? Well, for starters, Satan, sin, and death. And because he's conquered Satan, sin, and death, you and I can also conquer Satan, sin, and death. No one had ever beaten Satan before. No one. Do you realize Satan has defeated every human being that's ever been born? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, he wins until Jesus. What was the point of the 40 days in, in, in you know, the temptation, the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness? Jesus didn't sin. He beat Satan. Because he beat Satan, I get to hide behind Jesus. Now I can beat Satan. He showed me how to do it. It's by the very word of God. Jesus never sinned. He's defeated sin. That means that he can give me his righteousness because I know I've sinned. And I know you have too. But Jesus never sinned, and so he's the only one who can give righteousness to anyone, and he gives it to me, so now I can conquer sin. Jesus has won, he's conquered sin, so I can conquer sin. I don't have to sin, and neither do you. You weren't born that way. I mean, you were born away, like all the rest of us, into sin. But because he's won, guess what? I can have victory over my sin. No matter what my sin is, I can have victory. I can say no to sin and yes to God. I can say no to the sin of my addiction and yes to God. Jesus has won. Jesus has conquered death. He won over death. Death couldn't hold him in the grave. 
right? Yeah, and because Jesus conquered death, guess what? By faith, because of his grace, and I'm a child of God, I'm going to live forever with him. Jesus won over death. Now I can win over death. All of that according to Hebrews chapter 1. That was a summary. In 1 Peter 3, it says that Jesus holds the highest place. Think about this. Because he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, that's the highest seat of authority in the universe. That means he's in control of everything, past, present, future. Your anxieties, your cares, why can you cast your anxieties and your cares on him? As scripture says, cast your burdens on Jesus because he cares for you, because he holds the highest place of authority and he's in control. Moms, to you this day, this is your day, and I know for some moms, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of wondering, you know, because that child or those children, they've wandered far, they're not, you know, where are they, and it's kind of a, you know, a, a little bit bittersweet on days like today. I know that that pain is real, but you don't have to worry. Jesus is one, and he's in control. He sits in the highest place of authority, and it's a hard prayer to pray, but pray, Lord, do whatever you have to do to them to get their attention, but that's a great prayer to pray. And then trust that the one who sits on the throne, he's in control. That's all you can do. What else can you do? He has the highest place. The highest place is not in Lansing. The highest place is not in D.C. The highest place is not in Moscow. The highest place is not in the new owner of Twitter. No, the highest place, the throne that rules the universe is occupied by Jesus Christ. Scripture says in Hebrews 10 that he's our great high priest. Because of the ascension, Jesus has won, and now he's won the victory, so he gets to be the high priest. Remember in the Old Testament, when you would sin, you would have to bring sacrifices, a pigeon or a, or, or a lamb or a goat or, or a bull if it was a really bad sin, and you'd have to give it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice and then sprinkle the blood, and we have the incense and all of the regulations, and he could go into the temple where you could not, and you just hope that that priest was interceding for you. Well, according to Hebrews, you have a better, truer, greater high priest. I hate to tell you, because I like my job, you don't need me. You don't need me. I mean, we need each other. We need the church. It's not a pastor not go to church, but you don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need the Pope. You have Jesus. He was the sacrifice. I mean, how cool is he? He's the sacrifice. He's also the priest mediating the sacrifice. He sprinkled his own blood. That's what you need. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. He's a great high priest who intercedes. What does that mean? That means because of my sin and your sin, the wrath of God, according to Romans chapter 1, is always burning against our sin. But his own son, who sits at the right hand, is also the high priest, says, she's with me. I forgave that. He's with me. I forgave them. That's what a high priest that mediates does. And because he ascended... You can take that promise to the bank. Jesus has won. What does that mean? According to Revelation 19, it means our victorious king will one day return to judge the living and the dead. That's his place. That's what he won, the right to do that. There's a lot of different opinions about what people can say about you or think about you as you try to walk and, 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 and bring honor and glory to God. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at you weird and do whatever. The only opinion that matters is the one of the one who's got scars in his hands and feet. That's what Jesus has won because he's the judge. He judges you. He'll be the judge. He's the ruler. He'll rule the universe. 
According to Romans chapter 8, now there's no condemnation for us. According to Romans, we are now more than conquerors. How do I conquer? I can't conquer anything. The older I get, the, real, the more I realize how messed up and jacked up I am. And I'm not just talking about all the aches and pains. I'm talking about looking at all the mistakes of my life. But I'm a conqueror according to Christ. Why? Because he's won. So I get to get a part of that victory parade on his coattails. That's the only way to get there. And if you don't think that you're jacked up or that you've got it all together, it's, well, find a church that'll tell you that you're the greatest. <laughs> if you hang around here a while, somebody's going to get offended. Jesus is one. Over Satan, sin, death. He has the highest place, the highest throne, the highest authority. He's the highest priest. He's the highest ruler. He's the highest judge. He's our conquering hero. That's who he is. Britton Bishop, our student ministries pastor in Manistee, shared this with me. He saw this on social media, and I thought it summarized this whole Jesus is one really well. It says, grave empty, victory secured. Throne occupied. Grave is empty. Victory is secured. The throne is occupied. Present tense. I wonder what it would look like for us to live that way. Not that he's just some myth, some glorious ideal to live by, but that he sits on the throne now. That he sits on the throne now. So, Jesus has won. And, and here in the book of Acts, which, by the way, we're not starting a study of the book of Acts, but I highly commend it to you. It, it's a great thing to study with one bit of warning, and, and some of you will get this and some of you will have to find out for yourself. The book of Acts is a descriptive book. It tells you what happened. It's not a prescriptive book saying that you ought to do the same things. Because the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, I believe God is kickstarting a movement like on a motorcycle, boom, boom, all right? And he uses the spectacular to do that. We need all of the counsel of Scripture to understand what we're prescribed to do, right? So if you read the book of Acts, you're going to find out at one point, Paul's picking up a poisonous snake and gets bit and he doesn't die. Well, if you start thinking, well, if Paul did that, that's what I'm supposed to do, you're going to be in a church in Kentucky dead. <laughs> all right? I'm just telling you right now. And, 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 and that's the funny, or not funny, it's, it's horrible when someone you know, gets bit by a snake and dies. It's, it's, it's silly how we get led astray, but it can lead to more insidious things like where, you know, well, we have the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Well, God purposefully did that in a dramatic fashion in order for them to see it. And then there were two other givings of the Holy Spirit to show them that it was also for Samaritans and also for Gentiles. But that's when we get sideways and start believing that the promised Holy Spirit, which we just read about, has to come by some you know, priest praying for you and the laying on of hands in a certain way. And now you were a Christian before, but now you're a super Christian. No, the Holy Spirit comes to every believer, Scripture says, the moment they believe Christ and receive him by faith. That's the moment the Holy Spirit comes upon. Now, you can live by the Spirit or not live by the Spirit. But if you're forever looking for a second blessing, third blessing, 18th blessing, 22nd blessing, you're forever chasing the wrong thing. You're chasing blessings. You're not chasing Jesus. And that was a long summary of theology that some of you will email me about. Have fun. But here's the point. Right before he leaves, he reminds them, I'm going to send you the Spirit. Why is that critical? 
Well, in Matthew 28, he said to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here's your commission. This is what you're supposed to do. Right here, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That's what you're supposed to do. I've won. I've won the victory. I'm going to go have the parade up in heaven. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Go and make disciples. And if you remember in Matthew 28, the last thing he says to them, I will be with you to the very end of the age. I think that's also one of the reasons they rejoiced. Why did they rejoice? Before, they were always sad when he was going to leave. The ascension ends his physical ministry on earth. But he said, I go away, but I will send you another. Who's he going to send? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an entity. The Holy Spirit is not a force. May the force be with you. No. The Holy Spirit of who? Of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And so essentially, and this is a, this is a bad metaphor, but just this will help us understand it. Jesus said, physically, I'm going to go away so I can send my spirit to you. And then I'm going to be in you and you and you and you and you. All right. It's going to be all over and we're going to infest the world. That's why the church hasn't been able to be stomped out. It's multiplied all over the place. And when the spirit lives in you, the Holy Spirit, you become a Christian or little Christ. And we get to be Jesus' hands and feet. We get to be little Jesus, you know, the spirit of God with skin on. And we have different gifts and we look different and we go in. That's one of the reasons that they rejoice. Is they're like, oh, that's how he's going to be with us forever. Caesar couldn't stomp it out. Paul, or when Saul couldn't stomp it out, so he joined it. Hitler couldn't stomp it out. Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, you name it. Putin can't stop it out. You see, there's an implication here that is important for us to grasp. I know I'm worked up, but it is the, it's the last one of Son of God. So is that okay? We forgive me? If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, watch this. There's no wasted words here. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Wait, wait, he's still doing and teaching? Yes. He's doing it right now. You see, Jesus has won, but there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Now, it's interesting. This is the third service of all three. And in all three, when I start banging away about how Jesus has won, everybody's like, yeah. And then, you know, if you're a little bit more reserved, you're like, mm, right? Are you like, amen, glory, yeah, you know, we get fired up, victory, yeah, victory circle, victory lane, come on, Dale Earnhardt, do your little spin around, and fire it up, Jesus won, let's go, and then we go, there's work to be done, all right, man, see, we got a a weirdo down here who just woo-hooed in the second row, security, 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 Jesus has won, there's work to be done. See, it's all that Jesus began to do and teach. And this isn't a trick move to get people to serve. This is saying, because Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you, now there's a responsibility to live like Christ, to say yes to Christ, to obey Christ, to serve Christ, to be little Christs. I mean, my prayer for you is that you have a godly mom. You know, I, 
I mean, I wish that everybody could have a godly mom like mine. Loves the word, loves prayer, loves her family. I remember family devotions. Wow. Please don't let mom pray. We'd all volunteer to pray. Because if mom prayed, she'd pray all the rest of us to sleep. Right? But she was being a little Christ, and she knew there's work to be done, and sometimes the work is prayer. Sometimes the work is serving. Sometimes the work is giving. Sometimes the work is inviting. Sometimes the work is telling. Sometimes the work has one of those squiggly little things that the ushers have in their ear. Sometimes the work is making the best deviled eggs for the church baptism potluck. But it's work is... There's got... Jesus is one and there's work to be done. And, and the silly thing is, when I made those points, I wasn't trying to make them rhyme. Jesus is one, there's work to be done. I, sorry, I'll get really drilled by that by my kids later. <laughs> he promised his spirit. He said to be my witnesses. And even the angels kind of, kind of get on board here, right? Now, I think this is the comical part of the ascension. I'll try to wrap this up, right? So, you have the blessing, you know, go into all nations. Don't forget, this is what you're supposed to do. They're still humans because then they're like, wait, 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 wait. Hey, before you go, um, is this when Israel will be restored to number one? We're number one. And I imagine our Lord was like, oh gosh, okay. I thought I opened your mind to the scriptures, but you're still um, sometimes idiots. Anyways, no, it's not for you to know the times, the hours, okay? I've, I'm going to go to the victory. There's work to be done. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power, okay? It's not going to be about you. The more I realize that when I preach, it has nothing to do with me. It's God's word. It's God's power. It has to be. It has to be. You can ask the members of my family. When you look at all this and what God has done, it's not about me. It's not. It's not. It has to be because of God. But all of us live that way. Dependent on God. Dependent on God for our next breath. Defend, dependent on God for life. Dependent on God for His power to work through us, through our testimonies, through our obedience, for faith itself. He says, You will be my witnesses. And then it says, And He was lifted up, and there was a cloud. And then it says they're gazing into heaven. So picture this. All the men and women there staring up. And they're praising and they're rejoicing. It's like the end of a great worship set here in the tab. And then someone has to go, um, sit down. Or when you're just so fired up and church is over and you won't leave the third space and the campus pastor's like, uh, lock yourself out. Turn the lights off. I got to go, right? They're just gazing. They're in the Shekinah glory of whatever. They're just, wow, that was amazing. He's won, and look at all the implications of his victory. And then it says, and two men stood by them in white robes. Now, these are angels, but in every bad piece of Christian art, it's always like they're floating, kind of like Jesus goes up, you know, and then these two angels in the heavens, you know. But it doesn't say that. It says suddenly they were beside them. So can you imagine their fright? They're just standing there, and all of a sudden, whoa, yeah, <laughs> right? It's like a supernatural being, you know, and he had angel wing, you know, I don't know what it was like. And, uh, uh, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Wait, what? Wait, what? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go. You know what the implication is? There's work to be done. Stop with the drool hanging out of your mouth. Because that's where we want to stay, right? We're human beings. I'm the same way. 
we default to the easiest path. We want the easiest path. If you've ever been on a college or high school campus where some brilliant architect tried to say, they'll walk down the sidewalk this way, and then they'll go this way. No, they won't. They're going to go that way. <laughs> right through the landscaping. That's where they're going to go. Because we're humans, right? Jesus has won. That's easy. But there's a road that he's called us to. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. Do you believe that, church? The grave is empty. Victory is secured. The throne is occupied. The King of Kings, the Son of God, has won. And now he's given us a commission. There's work to be done. So I ask you again, here in Manistee, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. Prove it. Prove it. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite the the bands, if they'll come out and close us uh, in a worship song. But while they're coming, would you take a moment and ask God specifically? And I can think of no better way than this. I know I sound like a broken record, but no better way than for you to ask God personally, individually, God, what are you saying to me? You've said you believe it, and if that's so, now ask him. And we trust that the spirit that he promised would be our counsel and our God. Ask him what he's saying to you and what he would have you do about it. Father God, I thank you for your word, your love, your compassion, and your grace. Jesus, I thank you for accomplishing your Father's mission perfectly, for your victory, and for the fact that you share that victory with us. Spirit, thank you that you speak and you guide and you counsel, you comfort. Lord, I ask that you would be clear with us today that this would not just be a day that we went to church to make mom happy, but we left men and women that bring joy to God the Father. Help us to respond in the individual ways that you have and will show us. Thank you for your victory. I pray by your spirit you would empower us and encourage us to do the work that you have called us to do. Not to earn anything or not to pay you back, but like the disciples, full of joy because now we have meaning and purpose for the rest of our lives. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.